what we do in life echoes in eternity. An echo goes on and on and on. The choices you make, the people you love, the idols you serve, how we live our life now echoes in eternity. What do you want to be known for? Do you want to be known for how intelligent you are, how many books you've read, your job, great hair, your, your car, Trey, um, how organized you are, if you're super funny. Maybe you want to be known for being like Becky Homecky, a great cook. That's definitely not what I'm going to be remembered for, for sure. What do you want to be remembered for? If you had six words to summarize your life, six words, what would they be? Several years ago, an online magazine did that. They published that question, and they were flooded with so many responses that it almost crashed the website. And they were flooded with so many responses from all over the world, from famous people, from just normal people, from everywhere, that they actually made a book about it with all the responses. And it was called, Not Quite What I Was Planning. Not Quite What I Was Planning. And maybe that's where some of us are at right now. Let me just read some of the, the six words that people used to describe their lives. Thought I would have more impact. The psychic said I'd be richer. Not a good Christian, but trying. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. That was from a nine-year-old. Never lived up to my potential. Followed rules, not dreams, never again. Imagine more than office jobs. Found great happiness in insignificant details. This was actually one of my funny favorites. One tooth, one cavity, life is cruel. The challenge of the six-word limitation is that it forces you, it demands you to focus on what matters, even if it's just that one tooth in your mouth. Because good or bad, good or bad, you leave a legacy when you leave this earth. You leave a legacy, good or bad. Our culture, they, they take two words and they like to switch them around. One of them is reputation and the other is legacy. And I kind of just want to go over those two, unpack those two a little bit, because there's a difference between a reputation and a legacy. There definitely is a difference. Your reputation is who you're supposed to be. Your legacy is actually who you are. Your reputation is what you have come to what you have when you come to a new community. Your legacy is what you leave behind when you go. A reputation is made in the moment. A legacy is built in a lifetime. A single newspaper report or careless gossip can give you your reputation. But a life of hard work and toil gives you your legacy. Reputation is what men say on your tombstone. Legacy is what your children and family live with for the rest of their lives. 
the, your reputation is the instant, the immediate, the now, and your legacy is built over time, long-lasting, long-term. Tonight, as we look at the scriptures in 2 Timothy 4, we're just having, this is like, I'm on cold medicine, so I'm like, whoa, I'm hoping this is all happening out like it's supposed to be. Um, tonight, we're gonna be in 2 Timothy 4. And I wanna just give you some background. It's uh, Paul is sitting in a Roman prison. He's near death. He's looking over the past 30 years of his life since he met Jesus on that road to Damascus. He's looking at his life and, and you know, when you're approaching death, it kinda makes things a little bit real. Kinda gets us to focus on, on, well, what have I done with my life for the past 30 years? It kinda forces us to focus on what, what mattered. So that's where, that's where we're at in 2 Timothy 4, and we're going to read 1 through 8. 2 Timothy 4. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn instead to myths. But you, but you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I already am being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there, in store for me, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to help me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul makes three simple but profound statements about the legacy he wants to leave. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I kept the faith. If you want to leave a legacy that is greater than you, if you want to leave a legacy that lasts generation after generation, the answers are wrapped up in these three simple but very costly statements. Paul says, first of all, fight the good fight. Some of you might be sitting here and be like, what fight are we talking about? I didn't even know there's a fight going on. Why we got to fight? Some of us might be sitting here going, hmm, I'm tired. I'm so tired of the fighting. Why do we always have to fight? Because we're just fighting a whole bunch of wrong things. What Paul is talking about in these verses, what he's talking about is the fight, the good fight. He's talking about the spiritual battle that is going on right now for our souls. And if you want to le leave a legacy that outlasts you, you've got to acknowledge that right now there is a battle going on for your soul, for your story, for your legacy. In Ephesians 6.12 it says, this struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the principalities of darkness, against the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. You guys, if you believe in God, you've gotta believe in Satan. If you believe in one, you have to believe in the other. 
That's the fight that he's talking about. And in the verses two through five that we just read, Paul is giving Timothy, his protege, a charge. And it's a very serious charge. He is saying, because, and we know it's serious, because he says, in, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, like, that's serious business. You shouldn't be saying things in front of them if you don't really mean it. And he's giving them a charge, and charge is a military term. If you th- think of all those military movies, they say, you know, charge, right before they're about ready to engage in battle. That's the word he used, I give you charge. Paul did not tell Timothy, hey buddy, this is gonna be ugly, so you just run away. You run from the fight. He did not say, Timothy, you just stick your head in the sand like most Christians, and we just pretend nothing's going on. He definitely did not say, hey, let's blast Facebook, Instagram, or whatever the Twitter patterns are, whatever those things are. He did not say blast those with a whole bunch of sayings and whatever it is and like them and think, oh, I did my good deed for the day. And he definitely did not say attack non-believers for who they're sleeping with, what color they are, what their last name is, or that they, fo- they follow false gods. He did not say attack them. What did he say? Paul says, preach the word, be prepared to correct, rebuke, we love the rebuking and correcting, but here's the second part, and encourage, we forget the encourage part, with great patience, ooh, that's a tough one for me, and careful instruction, keep your head in all situations. Christians, we should not be chicken little running around with our head cut off. It says keep your head in all situations, endure the hardship, and do the work of the evangelist. That's what Paul says in the presence of God and Jesus Christ to Timothy. You guys, sometimes we're so busy fighting each other and screaming about all the things we don't stand for that the world has stopped paying attention to what we do stand for. The world has stopped paying attention to the good news, the gospel, the legacy of the cross. Here's what I think. Sometimes when we're casual, not really intentional about spiritual things, Sometimes when we're careless with disciplines of faith, like you know, going to church, reading our Bible, being in community, giving, serving, ministering to others. When we're callous about all things are holy, or the part where it says, you know, <clears throat> love others. We could be leaving a legacy that is not strong enough for our friends and family in their time of need. Because we've got to understand that Satan is just not coming after you. He just doesn't come after you. He tries to, when he tries to weaken your faith and compromise your stand and tempt you to sin, it's not just personal. He's coming after your family, your children, your children to come, and the children after them for generation and generation. The devil does not want you to leave a legacy of Jesus, you guys. He wants your legacy to be weak and diluted down. He wants you to build a legacy that's not on heavenly things, but on earthly things. Of all this, this is our temporary home. As a matter of fact, it says in John, he's out to kill, steal, and destroy it. Those are not my words. That's from the Bible. Kill, steal, and destroy it. Those are some intense words. 
we have to acknowledge that there is a spiritual battle going on right now for our souls, for our stories, and for the legacies that affects generations to come. Fighting the good fight, although it's cool, like that's Gladiator's one of my favorite movies. It's this epic battle. I love big epic battles. But most of it's not in our fighting the good fight is not in the epic battles. It's in our everyday choices. It's in the choices that we make minute by minute every day. A Columbia researcher said the average person makes about 70 choices, conscious choices a day. If you're a teacher or a mom, it feels like 170. 70 a day. 25,000, over 25,000 a year. Over a million and 788 thousand in a lifetime if you live to 70. That's a whole lot of choices, people. That's a whole lot of choices. Are you trying to make these decisions on your own, all by yourself? Because I don't know about you, but a lot of the choices I made on my own without, without the word of God, without community, without wise counsel, without praying, without Jesus, the choices that I made before Jesus, I'm so thankful they didn't have these little phones and all this stuff around before, before I became a Christian. I would not want that stuff replayed. Well, how do you know if you're even on track? How do you even know if you're going in the right direction? Are you growing? You're growing, you're like, I keep growing this way, but I'm not. No, are you growing in your walk with Jesus? Are you taking next steps? I don't care if it's a toe. I don't care if it's a crawl. I don't care if you've got to drag yourself. Are you taking the next step towards him? Are you making the next right wise decision? Some of you, it's gonna be when you walk out this door, you're gonna come face to face with something. What's the next wise decision? That's how it happens. That's how the fight is fought the next step, the next wise decision? Are you learning to trust him, who he is, what he's about? We have 1,800,000 choices and decisions to make in our lifetime. Are you going to make, him, make those with Jesus or without Jesus? Fight the good fight. And number two, Paul, part of his legacy, it says, finish the race. Finish the race. Paul is telling Timothy, I've completed the race, the course that God set before me, I finished it. I left nothing undone. It's kind of after an exhaustive study of the men and women of the Bible, Howard Hendricks of the Dallas Theological Seminary conducted an experiment about, one, there's about 100 biographies in the Bible of people, about 100 biographies. And he notes that approximately two-thirds of those did not finish well. 66% about. Two-thirds of the people in the Bible that have the detailed autobiographies did not finish well. Either they turned into immorality, they drifted away, or they ended their life in a backslidden condition. Many of us, we, we get that. We've gotten off track. 
We might not even thought we were on the track to begin with, or we're walking in circles, or we're running aimlessly around. And some of us, we gotta be honest, we're actually, we're running in the opposite direction from God. You don't wanna go where he wants you to go. Remember, the enemy is doing his best to stop you from finishing the race to weaken your legacy. He does this in, in, in a couple of ways, numerous ways. Distractions, good or bad. They could be really cute distractions, but good or bad, bad distractions. I mean, we're bombarded with choices, and I mean, it's a click of the button. I know some of you here, Jones, I'm like, I gotta touch my phone, I gotta touch my phone. Because we got distractions all around us. If he can get you busy, he doesn't have to bother with you. How about discouragement? You get offended. I'm letting you know right now, I would probably offend you tonight. I could offend you in the, in the hallway. Um, it's church and I will offend you. I try not to, I keep getting more awkward as I get older. I will offend you. Someone in this room will eventually offend you. People use that and be like, oh, I don't wanna deal with church, those people are offensive. Or you get offended about the song, or you get offended about it's too loud, or you get offended about, I mean, we, we get, then some of it's real. But if, if, if Satan can get you all wrapped up in um, being offended and hurt, he can get you off track. How about failure? Discouragement through failure. I just can't keep sober. I just can't stop clicking that button. I can't stop looking at those girls. I can't stop being prideful. I can't stop, I, I just feel like a failure. Why bother, I'm 40, I'm 60, I'm 25, it's too late. It's just too late, I've already failed at life. This is what's expected of me. If Satan can get you down there in, that, in your failure, living in your failure, he doesn't have to bother. Deceptions, they're everywhere out there. He can get you off track by deceptions. It's all about you. Most of us live our life like it's all about us. I mean, let's be honest. God just wants me to be happy. That's not in the Bible. Neither, my mother-in-law's here, neither is cleanliness before godliness. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> uh, that's to make myself feel better, but it's really not. Um, those are all deceptions. When I get to heaven, I'm not gonna be judged on the, the cleanliness of my house. He's gonna ask me, did you love your husband well? He's not gonna say, Kimberly, how happy were you, how happy were you, my precious child? He's gonna say, what did you do with my son? Finishing well doesn't happen by accident. You don't stumble over the finish line. You have to be intentional. You've gotta make these choices. You can't do this alone. The race is tiring. It is, it is nerve wracking. You can get distracted, discouraged, hurt, beaten up. But I need you to see the bigger picture. I need you to see that finish line. I need you to see which the finish line is the end of our time here on earth. I need you to see Jesus at the end with his arms open wide and him saying, come, come to me all you are weary. It's time to rest now. And he's gonna throw his arms around you and he's gonna say, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
He says, now the real party can begin. That was, that was not your home. This is your home. That's the bigger picture, you guys. It's him. People leave a legacy that is long-lasting when they live for something greater than themselves. If you make this world all about you, then the echo for eternity will be all about you and not him. So do you want the right now, the immediate? Or do you want the bigger picture? The, there's a bigger party waiting. He says, fight the good fight. Finish the race. And keep the faith. You guys, this keep of faith, this is a doozy. This one kind of seems like a deal breaker. Because some of us, you know you're sitting there and it's like, I can fight the good fight, I'm a warrior. I, see, I watch MMA. I can race, some of you go out and run. Whew. You're like, I can see myself finishing the race. I love crossing that finish line. But, but keep the faith? This one could be the deal breaker. Sounds like the hardest one of all. I mean, you know, boxers get punched in the face and, 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 and they bleed and that sounds painful and they get those ugly cauliflower ears and I don't know about that. And, and runners, if you've had to run a marathon, obviously I don't, but there's people out there who run marathons, they have to train hard and they don't eat chocolate chip cookies and they, they, that's hard work. Seems painful and a lot of work. When I first read this, this Keepers of the Faith, when I was a brand new Christian, I got in my head the Knights of the Round Table with their swords and Excalibur and I felt that, or like a whole bunch of priests in their robes and their garb and they were hovering over the Holy Scriptures. That to me was the Keeper of the Faith, the Keepers of the Faith. Just me? Okay, that was just me. Um, remember, I just became a Christian. Um, but what I think Paul is talking about, I think he's talking about something a little more personal here. I think the keepers of the faith, he means keeping your faith in Jesus no matter what. And when you have faith in somebody, when you have faith in somebody, it means you take them at their word. You count on them to live up to what they say. You trust their counsel and you have confidence in their promises. So when Paul was saying, I'm the keeper of the faith, that's what he was saying. I kept believing, I kept the faith that I took Jesus at his word. I kept counting on him to show up and do what he said he was gonna do. I kept trusting his counsel in every decision of my life. And I kept confident in his promises and his truths. That's what Paul's saying when he said, I kept the faith. See, some of us, we believe in parts of Jesus. You know, maybe it's we, the part of that he died on the cross and he rose again. We believe that. But most of us live our life like we don't believe the rest of the stuff. We don't have confidence in his promises. Does he really mean that he's going to, he has a plan for my life? Because maybe I need to get help him along because I don't know like how it's going. Maybe we don't really believe that um, if you seek him first, and the, seek him first, we're like, ooh, seek my job, seek my spouse, seek, seek, seek. We've got other seeking to do. 
Maybe we don't believe that his power is made perfect in our weakness. We don't, those, those promises, those are a little bit harder. So we're really trusting him. I wanna give you this analogy. Suppose your boss comes and says to all the employees and says, I'm giving you guys a $2,000 raise at the end of the year. Everybody gets a $2,000 bonus. At the coffee break, tea break, I don't drink coffee, the coffee break, they say, um, you guys talk, the employees sit around and you say, well, what do you believe? Do you think it's true? And you say, yeah, I believe it. I think he'll do it. Cool. I got that. And then he comes in a little while later. He says, and by the way, Everyone who comes into work a half hour early for the rest of the year, I will reward you. You won't regret it. And then the employees go back and they're like, well, what do you think of that? And you're like, oh, that sounds painful. I mean, a half hour, that's sleep. I could be on my Facebook. I could be exercising. There's tons of stuff I could do in that half hour break. I mean, that half hour before work. You know what? I don't believe it. It's just not worth it. So when you're asked if you have faith in your boss, the answer is no. The fact that you believe he's gonna pay the bonus at the end of the year, you're not having faith in his integrity and his power and his promises. That's just based on fact. I gotta be at work anyway, so I might as well, you know, I mean, if he gives the bonus, I think he will, that's cool. But, but going in a half hour early, what's the payoff? The 2,000 bonus, it's comfortable, he'll probably get a tax break anyway, right? It's easy to believe that. This is the very situation that many professing Christians are facing today. We really believe that Christ is gonna give us the bonus of eternal life. We, a lot of us believe that. But we live our lives as though his counsel is unwise and his promises are untrue. Some of us, we don't even care what he has to say. Faith in Christ, keeping the faith is believing all of God's word. You don't get to pick and choose. So when Paul says keep the faith, he means taking Christ at his word. Taking Christ at his word, front to back. Keeping the faith, it will cost. It will require many, many sacrifices. We joke about a half hour early. I'm gonna be real, it's gonna take a lot more than a half hour early. Because the struggle is real. The doubts creep in. It's not always easy to find, to trust the word of Christ. Because you want it now, you need an answer. He's a little slow. I was wondering, be like, hello, are you listening? What if he's not paying attention to me? I'm very loud. I'm a big girl, but what if he misses me? What if he's not paying attention? He's focusing on other stuff. Our tendency to, our old ways tend to creep in and, and say, be like, you know what, I got this. As long as I do these things, maybe I'm covered. We lean on our own understanding. We start trusting just ourselves. We seek our own glory. Keep the faith, having confidence in Jesus, no matter what. Well, let's fill in the blanks, no matter what. No matter if I lose my job, keep the faith. No matter if I get divorced, keep the faith. No matter if my house is taken away, keep the faith. No matter if my health is taken away, keep the faith. No matter if this world collapses around me, keep the faith. Paul's saying, keep the faith no matter what. 
about a month ago, I'll try to get through this, um, I had to go into the doctor and find out that the cyst, if there, I had a cyst on my kidney, and I, have to go, I had to go in and find out if it was cancerous or not. Um, there was a blood supply, blah, 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 blah. Had to go get an MRI. The night before we were to go to the doctors, I'm just gonna be real with you guys. I was having it out with God. I was angry. I was throwing a fit. I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Because I go to the extreme, I was like, Charles Manson gets to live to 67 and I could find out tomorrow my days are numbered. I'm 43, I've got three kids. What are you talking about? Haven't I done enough? I gave you 20 years. My husband's a pastor, like, do, do I get like a, a passport? Do I get a free pass? As I'm, I'm crying and I'm in my room, and he says, Kimberly, keep the faith. Do you trust me? Yes, God, I trust you, but not with this. Please don't let this be my new normal. He says, Kimberly, in 20 years, have I let you down? Have I not shown up? Have I not? Have I forsaken you? Have, has everything I promised you been true? Yes, God. I had to go back to what I know. I had to go back to the basics. I had to go back to the truth. I had to go back to his promises. He's got a plan for my life. No matter what that doctor said the next day, God has my destiny. No matter what. As we're driving to the doctor in the morning, Brian stops. He's like, where are you at? Where are you at? I grab his hand and I say, and I'm letting you know, this did not come easy. I had it out with him the night before, not Brian, but God. And I said, Brian, no matter what is said in this doctor's office, Jesus commands my destiny. And I would not trade the last 20 years of my life for anything in the world. And if he got me this far in the last 20 years, no matter what is said, I know that God has a plan for my life. He's my Lord and Savior. Let's do this. And he said, are you, are, you, are you sure? Are you okay? And I said, Brian, I want everybody to have a front row seat like I have for the 20 years, the past 20 years with him. Why doesn't everybody want this front row seat of community and loving on people and God's grace and God's mercy? Why doesn't everybody want this? Because I d didn't mean I wasn't scared. But I knew God g got this. And he said, Kimberly, the reason they don't want it is the cost is high. You see, we've got to work out our faith daily. I had to work out, I've been a Christian 20 years, and I had to work out my faith a month ago. And it wasn't this like, oh, Heavenly Father, just your, your will be done, your will be done. No, this was, dude, do you have this? Do you got this? Are you for sure in control? And he didn't come to me and say, Kimberly, it won't be cancer. He said, no matter the answer, you are mine and I have a plan for your life. We've got to work out our faith daily in our marriages. Oh, there's choices in your marriage daily, isn't there? We've got, we got to work out our faith daily with our children. 
You want your legacy to be real? Ask your kids right now, what, they, what do you think you stand for? Do you want the answer? So I did that a couple years ago. I asked my kids, hey, what do you think you know, mommy and daddy stand for? What do you think mommy stands for? And you know what Lawson's answer was? Talking. Lakin looked at me like it was a trick question. She was like, um, what do you mean? I was like, what do you think mom's about? This is not easy. We have to work out our faith daily. In our finances. With our health. With our free time with our relationships, with our singleness, with our, with our divorce, with whatever. We have to work out our faith daily. The enemy, he will target our confidence in God. That night before going to the doctors, he wanted to say, your God's not real. Don't believe him. He doesn't have this. He doesn't, he's, 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 you gotta go figure this out yourself. Where's your God now, Kimberly? That's what I heard, I was like, what? Where's this coming from? The enemy will target our confidence in God because John had said, this is the victory that overcomes this world is your faith. And if Satan can destroy your confidence in Jesus, then he can destroy your legacy. So if you were asked the question this past year, Did you fight the good fight? Did you finish the race? Did you keep the faith? What would you say? This is not about guilt. Because you, you don't have to answer to me. You don't have to answer to Brian. You don't, have to, you don't have to answer to us. This is not about guilt. My guess is there's a few answers. I've, I, there was no fight. I didn't fight anything. Because I didn't really feel like, to be honest, I didn't feel like this great desire to follow Jesus. I trust his counselor's promises. It's kind of still new and, and weird to me. I don't, okay. Someone else might say, I felt some desire to trust Jesus. I really got this. You know, I grew up a Christian. My family's a Christian. I mean, I got it. But, but when, when push came to shove, when bad things happened, I just constantly feel defeated constantly. I really didn't fight the good fight. Some of us might say, praise God, it was a really hard year, but you know, the scripture came alive to me. God is, is <coughs> a part of my life. And time and time again, when he came to offer me, and when Satan came to give me temptation, and um, I just held to Christ with all his truths, with all his promises, with who he is. Excuse me. It wasn't always <coughs> easy, but thanks be to God. The God who gives victory. Sorry, I came just getting over a cold. <laughs> that it wasn't easy, but this is, I fought the good fight. Where do you wanna be? <coughs> Where do you wanna be?
The enemy and your flesh does not want you to finish. Does not want you to leave a legacy that is based in Jesus. Because Jesus, that's what echoes into eternity. Jesus, that's what echoes in eternity. The six words that could describe my life before Jesus might have been, high achiever on the outside, broken on the inside. (coughs) Looking for love in all the wrong places. Lost hope consumed by the void. Chains kept me doing the same thing. My six words now, because of God's grace and God's mercy, because I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the one who lives in me is greater than the one who lives in the world. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because I want to claim my legacy that I am the daughter of a mighty, mighty king. You are the daughter and sons of a mighty, mighty king. Are you gonna claim your destiny? Are you just gonna give it away? My six words now, because there's a lot of words to describe me. Keep those to yourself. Love others passionately, whatever the cost. Love others passionately, whatever the cost. That's my six words that one of my kids, and I, if, if, if I were, and the doctor test that came, praise Jesus, it came back negative, everything was good. But I want you to know, I want you to know that when I leave, I wanna spend the next 20 years, five years, however many years I have, living those six words. So that when I stand before Jesus and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not because I'm a great person. Let me tell you some stories. It's because I serve a great, great God. When you fight the good fight, when you finish the race, when you keep the faith, Jesus becomes the legacy that you live the here and now. And Jesus becomes the legacy that you leave. The echo in eternity that goes on and on and on. It's Jesus. We're gonna end it with a clip because this is the end of the series. And then the band is gonna lead us in communion. And I challenge you tonight, don't be comfortable you don't get to choose when your days are numbered. I lost my best friend at 20. She didn't get, to ch- she didn't get 70. She didn't get 100, 1,800,000 decisions. I lost my grandma when she was 65. She didn't get 70. I lost another friend, he just turned 40. He didn't get 70. You don't get to choose. I challenge you tonight. What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want your legacy to be? Dear Heavenly Father, I just come tonight and I just say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being an 
awesome God and given us Jesus, that a legacy that is long-lasting and long-term and, and goes on, on and on and on forever. Lord, will you just seep in the hearts of every single person around? Will you just, will you just make them uncomfortable? Will you shake them up? Will, you, will they leave this place making the next step towards you, the next right decision, the next wise decision? Will they not be comfortable with just, with just quitting? With just giving up? Lord, just bring us closer to you. In your name we pray, amen.